Hello, welcome to the Quest series of podcasts. This is a Young mini-series, number four, Young's contribution to the field of psychotherapy. First of all, some announcements. Firstly, the Quest live lecture series will be starting another year in September. This is a series of lectures which takes place eight times a year and covers a number of important visionaries or schools of thought who have provided vision or shaped the world we live in. The syllabus includes David Byrne, Wholeness and the Implicate Order, Adam Smith, The Wealth of Nations, Carl Jung, The Red Book, John Maynard Keynes, A Vision in Economics, Sri Aurobindo, The Life Divine, Totalitarianism, Dark Visions of Fascism and Communism in the 20th Century, and Growing Authoritarianism and Populism in the 21st, Fritjof Capra, The System's View of Life, and The Turning Point, Beethoven, Fidelio, Sigmund Freud, Civilization and Its Discontents, and Bearing the Dream of the Cosmos, Parts 4 and 5, Oriental Texts, The Secret of the Golden Flower, and Selections from Hindu and Buddhist Scriptures. The Quest is a three-year rolling cycle of lectures and discussions. Details of this in-depth and exciting course, which can be listened to online or attended in person, if you live in the UK, can be found on my website, alanmulhern.com. See the section on the Quest where the syllabi can be found for the three years of this programme, at the back of which can be found the details of contact. Registration is now open. Secondly, in this podcast, I sketched the major concepts that have entered Jungian psychotherapy and informed its practice. This will be very brief. I will, however, be providing, separate from these podcasts, a series of seminars in which these ideas are examined in detail. This will be especially useful for those who want a refresher course on Jungian ideas as applied to psychotherapy, perhaps for those who wish to enter a training in this area, for those in related psychotherapy schools who would like an accessible introduction to Jungian ideas, perhaps also for those who cannot afford therapy but wish to explore their inner world and use the powerful and rich ideas of Jungian psychology to do so. I will be using not only theory but experience from decades of practice as a Jungian therapist. Registration for the proposed seminars will be required and they carry a modest charge. For more details, you may write to one of the following emails, alamulhern at gmail.com or thepilgrimquest at gmail.com. My contact details are on the website. So to repeat, there are two offerings outside of these podcasts. The first program is the Quest Live Lecture Series, which can be attended also online, detailed examination of numerous visionaries. And the second is the six-part series of seminars on the ideas of Carl Jung, especially as applied to psychotherapy. Chapter 7 of MDR gives a summary of some of the areas for which Jung has provided original, highly creative and lasting contributions. These include a founding of a separate school of psychotherapy called analytical psychology. Although Jung wished to distinguish his psychology from Freud's, as he grew older he became very cautious about the number of training institutes that were set up in his name. Indeed, these have now spread all over the world. The reason was that he believed passionately that we should discover and develop our own individuality, and he objected to mass phenomena, including those which imitated him, his ideas, and his journey. Nevertheless, 
I believe these institutes of Jungian psychotherapy have been an indispensable means for spreading his ideas, which, it should be stressed, are not just intellectual or spiritual concepts, but are rooted in psychotherapy, that is, the living psyche as it struggles with suffering. Without these, Jung might have become just another thinker, rather than someone who entered the living tissue of our times. Next, a revisioning of psychotherapy and its methods away from the dominance of Freudian psychoanalysis. This involves a different view of the psyche to that of psychoanalysis. The psyche is the totality of consciousness and the unconscious, which is split, for conceptual purposes, into three parts. The ego, personal unconscious, and the unconscious. It is a self-balancing and self-healing system, but can be distorted, traumatised or damaged, so that its repair functions are not effective. The ego is the subject of consciousness and can be thought of in two ways. Firstly, as a function of mind, providing a sense of planning, control, focus and concentration. Secondly, as the person one believes oneself to be, the centre of the subjective sense of identity, the experiential sense of coherence, that is the centre of personality. Ego consciousness is therefore a wide system of awareness, control and personality traits, at the centre of which is the ego. The unconscious is the greater part of the psyche outside of consciousness, consisting of the personal unconscious, buried memories, defence mechanisms, complexes, and the collective unconscious, the archetypal world, bordering on instincts, and the foundation of healing intelligence. The personal unconscious is the first layer of the psyche contacted by consciousness as it engages in self-exploration, typically containing personal character traits, personal history, early attachment relationships, complexes and traumas. Psychotherapy, especially in the early stages, works on these areas intensively. A complex is a knot of emotional suffering and buried memories caused by emotional injury, acting autonomously, located in the personal unconscious and accessible to the early stages of psychotherapeutic investigation. Complexes connect to the deeper archetypal realm and to healing intelligence. Whitmont, in his book The Alchemy of Healing, explains Jung's use of the word complex to cover, firstly, an outer shell shaped by childhood traumas, personal events and conditioning, with a degree of autonomous functioning and not subject to the control of the ego. Secondly, a mythological core, a universal pattern with archetypal components. A close examination, therefore, of an individual's complexes leads to the deep psyche. To use the vocabulary of Hillman in his Revisioning Psychology, published in 1975, quote, Within the affliction is a complex. Within the complex, an archetype. Unquote. The archetypal realm, therefore, holds the healing potential. Within suffering lies the truth of its own healing. The collective unconscious is the deepest part of the psyche, universal in the human species, referring to the higher and lower elements, instincts and archetypes, libido and healing intelligence, lower self and higher self, 
It has multiple centres of healing intelligence as well as a central ordering archetype of the self, capital S. It is the emotional, instinctual and spiritual foundation. The psyche is a self-balancing system. The unconscious often has a compensatory function. It is also prospective and purposive, that is, it looks to the future, to its own entelechy, its own development into the fullness of its own being. Individuation, conceived by Jung as a four-stage development process in which firstly the shadow, secondly the anima or animus, thirdly the archetypal spirit, and fourthly the self, are brought to consciousness. A process of becoming a more whole individual. It implies a release from the persona and over-identification with collective values and expectations. There is a continuous dialogue between ego and self, in which the centre of gravity of the personality moves from being initially centred at the pole of the ego to a midway position. Individuation, cautiously conceived, is not so much an end in itself as a process, a spiral around the self, sometimes getting closer, sometimes moving away, but hopefully developing, moving upwards, so to speak. In the first half of life, individuation takes the form of adaption to culture, the development of personality, talents, creativity, the creation of friendships, adaptions to intimacy and possible reproduction. In the second half, consciousness may turn not to the outer, but to the inner world and its archetypal foundation. Individuation is the natural development towards psychological growth and wholeness. The ego is vital to the individuation process. Alignment is the capacity of consciousness to link with the self and the archetypal components of the psyche. Let us take these four components one by one. The concept of shadow is part of the psyche, not accepted by consciousness, often mixed with shame or guilt and is easily projected onto others. It compensates for ego ideals and higher parts of the personality. This concept is of great value not only in personal psychology, but also for understanding mass movements and radical political groups' behaviour. The famous example being Hitler and the Nazis who projected their own shadow elements into the Jews and persecuted them and tried to annihilate them as if they were trying to annihilate their own shadow. Next, the persona, a mask or image of oneself presented to the external world, for example, a professional image, or simply the image of oneself one carries around, which one imagines oneself to be. This persona, which is the result of one's background, training, parental pressures, society, work, schools, and so on, may actually be quite different from the real person one is, and is felt eventually as an imposition upon the personality one would typically find in the dream world, reactions against this persona, maybe attacks by the shadow upon it. Next, the anima and the animus. The anima for young was the female unconscious of a man, and the animus, the masculine unconscious of a woman. So, frequently in psychotherapy, it was conceived that the man had to discover his own femaleness, and the woman masculine elements in the unconscious. Next, the self. 
the inner archetype or director of growth and the integrating functions of the psyche. Outside of the ego, it can be thought of in two rather different ways. Firstly, as the totality of the psyche, conscious and the unconscious. Secondly, as the central archetype of order, an internal guidance system orchestrating the development of personality. The terms of introversion and extroversion, plus a theory of psychological types, Jung's original contribution to a descriptive classification of personality, in which four functions are outlined, thinking, feeling, sensation and intuition, while two major axes or orientations are outlined, introversion versus extroversion and judgment versus perception. Analytical psychology sits within and alongside an enormously expanded range of therapies. Its siblings include psychoanalysis on the one hand and existential and humanist therapies on the other. Jungian psychology emerged out of Freudian and is very indebted to it. The concepts of the unconscious, its manifestation in dreams, the role of neurosis, the importance of childhood trauma, the nature of defences, transference and counter-transference, and many more ideas and well-worked concepts in psychoanalysis are all important to Jungians, in varying degrees, but differences were established from the Freudian in these concepts and how they functioned in psychotherapy. Let it be said that many advances in understanding have been made outside the Jungian camp, by, for example, the Freudians, who have pioneered and developed psychoanalysis and its rich development also by neurobiological understanding of mental disorders, which have been more in the realm of psychiatry than depth psychology, for example our understanding of autism and a wide range of psychiatric disorders, or the advances in the understanding of the social roots of human mental suffering, or the progress in short-term therapy. These have also been outside the Jungian camp, as have advancements in attachment theory, as well as couple work, sexual theory, addictions, group work, and many other areas. Jungian psychotherapy sits alongside, and sometimes within, a growing range of therapies that deal with the human condition. The term psychotherapy is used very widely to cover psychoanalysis, psychotherapy, and counselling of many descriptions. I believe that depth psychotherapy, that is, therapy that deals with the unconscious, and especially Jungian therapy, which I practice, is characterised as a four-part process leading to integration and healing. Firstly, the establishment of a container and preliminary understanding of the symptoms of the client. Secondly, the analysis of character. Thirdly, the alignment to the deep psyche. And fourthly, the integration process. It is especially useful for adults in one-to-one situations who wish to advance their understanding of themselves. It is also very useful for many who are seeking a world view which has greater transpersonal or spiritual components within it. The general approach of Jungian psychotherapy is one of an intense symbolic sensitivity, that is, the way the psyche expresses itself in symbol, seeking its own freedom, expression and growth. Its approach is a combination of the synthetic and the analytic. The analytic is a process of understanding, breaking into component parts, dissecting, 
understanding causes, origins and how things develop. It usually characterises a reductive method of understanding the client's symptoms in terms of early family dynamics. Reductive is a term referring to the early model that we use in psychotherapy, whereby we reduce the symptoms, that is our understanding of them, to an early family drama. The synthetic approach is also a key part of Jungian therapy. As opposed to analytic understanding, this approach gathers meaning by bringing different parts together, appreciating that material from the deep psyche is overdetermined, symbolic and condensed. This style uses a far more intuitive approach. For example, the active imagination approach used by Carl Jung himself. That is a direct, creative relationship with figures from the unconscious, rather than a passive or analytic observation of them. These figures may be talked to, even challenged, questioned. The inner world is regarded as totally real. This is a method used by Jung himself and his patients, and has become popularly used in a wide range of alternative therapies. Next concept, the midlife crisis. Dante, in his opening lines of the Divine Comedy, wrote, Midway this life we are bound upon. I found myself in a deep wood and wholly lost. These lines begin his great trilogy, written in exile, that encapsulated and gave meaning to the beliefs of his time. He started writing it in 1308, at the age of 43, and he completed it at 55, one year before his death. It represents, of course, the search for the soul, but also that of the soul of the age he lived in. The midlife crisis is a period when the existing dominance of the psyche lose their meaning, and one enters into deep crisis. It is a death and resurrection rite of passage, in which there is a new and close relationship to the deep psyche. One listens, learns and reshapes oneself. It often has spiritual components, and many of the previous material and earthly ambitions are now relativised and less important. The realisation of mortality changes everything. Carl Jung, near the start of the Red Book, and in a style like that of the Psalms of the Old Testament, wrote, quote, On the second night I called out to my soul. I am weary. My soul, my wandering has lasted too long. My search for myself outside of myself. Now I have gone through events and have found you behind all of them. Like a tired wanderer, who has sought nothing in the world apart from her. Shall I come closer to my soul? I shall learn that my soul finally lies behind everything. Unquote. And again, quote, My soul, where are you? Do you hear me? I speak. I call you. Are you there? I have returned. I am here again. I have shaken the dust of all the lands from my feet and have come to you. I am with you. After long years of long wandering, I have come to you again. Should I tell you everything I have seen, experienced and drunk in? My soul, my journey should continue with you. I will wander with you and ascend to my solitude. The midlife crisis represents a turning point, a process of liminality, a connection to the deep psyche, in which... A new configuration takes place within the psyche.
a new relationship to the unconscious, to the deeper aspects of oneself. Next, the transcendent function, which was Jung's term for a midway position between ego and self, essential for the individuation process. This is different from a position that is mainly based on ego consciousness, or one that is positioned largely in the unconscious or the instincts. It is a midway position that allows dialogue between the two great powers of the psyche, the conscious and the unconscious. The transpersonal. This is a term that was actually first used by Jung, and signifies the numinous, collective unconscious, beyond the personal psyche, with its complexes, traumas, neuroses and personal history. The archetypal realm. The area of the deep psyche outside of the control of the ego, containing archetypes and healing intelligence. The archetypes are inbuilt psychic potential, expressed in behaviour, thought, images and creativity, universal in the human species. The area of the deep psyche, outside of the control of the ego, containing healing intelligence. Synchronicity as a non-causal but meaningful relationship, the notion of unus mundus, a unified cosmos. In psychotherapy, one can experience an interconnected field. In later stages of intensive psychotherapy particularly, the therapist may at certain times attune to the inner state of the client in a way that is beyond normal emotional and intuitive resonance. These experiences can be understood as the psyche of the client being a shared field with the therapist and go beyond transference and counter-transference reactions. A theory and understanding of dreams, distinct from psychoanalysis. They are seen as prospective and purposive. The psyche wishes to grow. The self is the inner director of this process. The psyche wants to be fully realised, to be truly awakened and to connect to its source. Jung found his interpretation of dreams not from mere study or knowledge, but from his own descent to the depths within himself. In the Red Book he writes, The spirit of the depths even taught me to consider my actions and my decision as dependent on dreams. Dreams pave the way for life, and they determine you without you understanding their language. One would like to learn this language, but who can teach and learn it? Scholarliness alone is not enough. There is a knowledge of the heart that gives deeper insight. The knowledge of the heart is in no book and is not to be found in the mouth of any teacher, but grows out of you like the green seed from the dark earth. Scholarliness belongs to the spirit of this time, but this spirit in no way grasps the dream, since the soul is everywhere. That scholarly knowledge is not. As an example of such dreams, I had one recently, which was the following. I enter into a castle and find in a corner of it a strange room into which I am looking and I see that there are controllers of the castle who have taken it over, who are creatures like large ants, who have taken over the technology of things. There is a parish priest, 
who represents the inhabitants of the area and of the castle, the original inhabitant, who is petitioning, making an appeal to the insect and conquerors. They don't heed him, but cruelly dismiss him. I leave, and enter back into the main hallway, and find hundreds of people gathering around. I am with my group who have descended from a spaceship, and arrived at this castle. I realise we have to talk to this large group of people, who are the original inhabitants of this land. They wait for us to talk, and eventually... I decide that it is me who has to talk from this group. And I announce to them the following words. You have been enslaved hundreds of years ago without your knowledge by conquerors of the new technology who control your life and control your consciousness. They are amazed at hearing this. I continue by saying, you must wake to your true condition. You must achieve gnosis that is, G-N-O-S-I-S, you must achieve self-awakening, knowledge. The group are astounded at this, and it seems to be accepted as true, as a realisation of their condition. Now, such a dream links us back to the Gnostic traditions and those of awakening. Not only from the conquerors without, not only from the technologies of our existence which conquer our consciousness, but also for those aspects of ourselves, whereby we live in a subjugated state. Next concept in Jungian psychology, a wide-ranging psychological interpretation of mythology. Jung discovered that vast areas of the world's mythologies and fairy tales could be reinterpreted using the tools he had forged from the primal outpourings of the deep psyche that he experienced in his descent. Among the many myths that Jung and others following him brought to life was of the creation of consciousness itself, as it firstly arises from the primal instincts, nature and evolution, and overcomes the darkness of the unconscious. One of the first great myths of this is the Egyptian, where Nun, the embodiment of the primordial waters, lifts the bark of the sun god Ra, into the sky at the moment of creation. In the Abrahamic religions, the book of Genesis is another creation myth, which again is not really about the actual creation of the material world, but is rather about the creation of human consciousness. The emergence of the sun god, the Egyptian myth, or the creation of light, the Abrahamic, symbolise the birth of consciousness itself, Subsequently, these myths portray the problems of consciousness in a narrative concerning the choice between good and evil. In the Bible, the conflict of Cain and Abel. In the Egyptian myth, the battle between Set and Osiris. In both cases, a murderous struggle between brothers, which symbolises the battle between good and evil within the human being. If anyone is in doubt about the archetypal nature of these myths that stretch across the history of the consciousness of our species, one could look to a relatively recent myth production, Wagner's Ring Cycle, written and composed in the mid-19th century, where the opening opera, Rheingold, 
is precisely on this theme. In this case, the power of human consciousness originates from a pristine world like gold in the Rhine. But once stolen from its source in nature and fashioned into a ring, carries a curse as humans seek ultimate power and destroy the beautiful world that gave birth to them. Subsequently, Wotan and Albericht, the dark and light aspects of creation, fight for possession of this ring. Archetypal myths are true on many levels and have no single interpretation. Again, if anyone doubts the relevance of these myths, then listen or watch to the ring cycle and consider that the ending of the reign of the gods, Ragnarok, in fire and water, is uncannily prescient of the modern preoccupation with the potential extinction of our species, perhaps our planet, in nuclear conflagration and rising waters. Next area of Jungian psychology, an incorporation of spirituality into psychotherapy. Jung's work on himself and his patients convinced him that life has a spiritual purpose beyond material goals that the psyche has a natural purpose for its own development, and this is a spiritual development. Our main task, he believed, is to discover and fulfil our deep innate potential. Next, a detailed investigation of alchemy and its reincorporation into Western consciousness. Jung argued that the stages of the alchemist, the blackening, the whitening, the reddening and the yellowing, are symbolic of individuation, and parallel the individuation process in psychotherapy. And finally, an investigation of Gnosticism and its linking to analytical psychology. Jung became convinced that Gnosticism was a mystical undercurrent and had within it an alternative view of the soul or psyche, which was more compatible with his school of psychology than Christianity. And indeed, Gnosticism counterbalanced the one-sidedness of Christianity. These are just some of the very influential ideas of Jung that have entered into analytical psychology and have contributed to the 20th and 21st century. Everything that Jung contributed to psychology, all that has lasted to the present, and I have no doubt will last long into the future, is because he descended to the archetypal core of himself and found its essence, and formulated it into practical ideas that entered the modern world as Jungian psychology. They are not simply theoretical speculations. This is why they have an amazing ability to link one directly to the archetypal world. In a deep Jungian psychotherapy, one feels what it means to be an initiate in the Elysian Mysteries, or to be part of a shamanistic, ecstatic journey to the other world or to know the dark night of the soul. One connects to the healing and transformative efforts of humanity across the ages, and this has a tremendous healing impact. Jung writes, quote, The years when I pursued the inner images were the most important time of my life. Everything else is to be derived from this. It began at that time, and the later details hardly matter anymore. My entire life consisted in elaborating what had burst forth from the unconscious and flooded me 
like an enigmatic stream, and threatened to break me. That was the stuff and material for more than only one life. Everything later was merely the outer classification, the scientific elaboration, and the integration into life. But the numinous beginning, which contained everything, was then. The depths of the psyche erupted in Jung with tremendous force. But he found the ore from which he alchemized the gold of his creations. It came from an inexhaustible seam where psyche meets cosmos and buried so deep and under such pressure that it was dangerous to approach. But his daemon drove him and he unravelled the secret of bringing it to the surface, at first as volcanic madness, but then metamorphosed through symbol into meaning on its long journey from the interior. In the following podcast, we examine Young's fascination with alchemy and Gnosticism. I hope you can join me for these. <laughs>